Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, well, great to see you guys. I want to welcome you to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, here's the deal. We're in the series God Box, which is on prayer but right now, we're here in Morristown. Here's the deal. We need to say hello. We need to give high fives to all of our brothers and sisters. We have three other campuses right now, New Brunswick, Nutley, and Mountainside. Can we welcome our brothers and sisters? Glad you guys are here. You're part of a bigger church family, and we love you guys, and we're thrilled you're with us this morning. Um, today, we are, um, we're, I, I need to let you know, first off, before we jump into this, we are hosting a special event tomorrow night. Uh, at at uh, Liquid Mountainside Campus. It's for all campuses, in fact. It's a prayer and worship night. I'm going to be kicking it off live tomorrow night. And this is a, if you haven't had a chance to check out our, our new building or visit that campus, it's a perfect opportunity. All four campuses are coming together, and it's a chance to kind of mix and mingle with the rest of our church family for a time of extended worship. So if you're like, you want to get your worship on, this is a chance to do that. We're going to have communion, a confession wall. There's some, some very kind of, Pastor Jason, the bands, they've really put together this kind of artistic experience that I think is going to connect deeply with you. But you do need to let us know you're coming, so you need to sign up and get free tickets. It's at liquidchurch.com. Just go online today, and you can reserve seats for your family and friends. We just need to know how many people are coming each night. And there'll be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week at 7.30. So I'll be kicking off live tomorrow night. If, we, if you haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you in person uh, at Mountainside at a prayer and worship night. So um, we've been seeing God do some pretty big things uh, through this 30-day prayer challenge. And really, our entire church is kind of going through this. My guess by now, if you've kept up, your God box is probably you know, starting to overflow with all these you know, petitions and requests. And here's the deal. Um, these don't need to be long. What we're doing, my hope is that you had a much more balanced prayer experience this week. Last week, we talked about the different kinds of prayer, of prayers of thanksgiving or wow, worship or, or sorry, prayers of confession. Besides prayers of help and petition, we're trying to balance this out. And the idea is every day we're writing one or two prayers. They're only a sentence or two long. And we're putting them in our prayer box. Length does not matter as long as they're heartfelt. Because what we've learned is God values our persistence, our sincerity, and above all, our honesty. I want to share with you a very honest prayer I received this week from a woman in our congregation who's been praying for for some time, but she hasn't received an answer yet. Here's what she wrote. She said, Dear Pastor Tim, uh, for the last few months, I've been praying for a problem I'm having with my eyes. And the problem uh, has been getting worse. I've been praying day and night for this, and it's still not getting better. I've had lots of people praying too. I'm not sure how much more of this I can take. It feels like God's ignoring my prayers for my eyes. I pray for my eyes day and night, yet nothing changes. I just don't get it. You ever pray a prayer like that? This is a very honest prayer. And today, I want to talk about unanswered prayer. What happens when you pour your heart out to God and he just doesn't seem to answer? A lot of times, whenever I talk about prayer, after a service, I'll get approached by someone who says, Tim, uh, you know, Jesus said, Ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and, and, you'll, and, and the door will be opened. I believe that, but is it a guarantee? Is that a guarantee by God? Pastor Tim, you ever wonder that? If we truly believe that prayer is this pipeline to God's power, that God's willing and able, whenever his children say, hey, Abba, would you help me? Why does God not open the door sometimes? Typically, when that, I get that question, I say, well, what's the situation you're praying for? And the person's hurt, their confusion is just underneath the surface. They'll say something like, well, I've been praying for my husband, uh, you know, to stop drinking. 
but he came home drunk again last night. Or they'll say, I've been praying for a new job. I've been struggling with unemployment, praying for some time. But let's be honest, nobody wants a 50-year-old middle manager. Or, or they'll say, I've been praying for my wife's depression to improve, but now she's threatening suicide. I mean, these are serious things. And I see the confusion and the disappointment. What happens when we get real with God and he doesn't answer or we knock and the door stays shut? I don't want to whitewash this or dodge your questions. And so today, I want to look at what the Bible teaches about unanswered prayer. What happens when God says no? Or at least seems to delay a legitimate request and allow suffering in your life even when his children beg for relief. So would you take your Bible and open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth where Paul reveals this very personal unanswered prayer and how God actually led him through that. little background as you find the page in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes the supernatural out-of-body experience that he had. He was caught up to the third heaven. That's what he calls it. And basically, the Corinthian church loved spectacular spiritual stories like dreams and visions. They loved that sort of stuff. And Paul says, you know, one time I was praying and God kind of whisked me up to heaven. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? One day you're praying and God gives you a preview of what awaits us in eternity. That'd be powerful. But there's this incredible mountaintop experience for Paul in the first six verses. And he says, actually, I don't want to talk about that. Because I don't want to brag about this vision I was given because it was followed by something equally as painful here in my life on earth. And here's what he writes in verse 7. He says, Because of these surpassingly great revelations, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a what? Can we say these words together in red? I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to what? To torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Wow, interesting. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then Paul writes, this is crazy talk. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, when people say things, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, let's say it together, then I am strong. Very powerful excerpt from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he reveals that, I mean, Paul, nobody had more faith in God than Paul. And he had just come off this jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring revelation of heaven, but was struggling with a thorn in his flesh. Have you heard that expression before, thorn in the flesh? Always oh, a thorn in my side. You know, it comes directly right here in 2 Corinthians 12. And the, the word thorn here in the Greek is scallops, and it means a hook, like a fish hook or a barb that attaches itself. I know we typically think of a thorn like this, like it's a, a single pricker from a rose bush. You know, it was a pain in the neck, but not, that's not that. The thorn that Paul describes here is more painful. It's like a fish hook or a spear that lodges itself in your skin and won't let go. A very painful thorn that just followed Paul around day after day. This week I was uh, out jogging in the woods behind my house and there was some of that, you know, dry grass and tall brush. And I'm jogging through and I get home and I look down the side of my sweatpants and there are all these little burrs. You ever see those? You can't get them off. They're on your shoelaces and everywhere. The dog had them on his paws and I'm like trying to get them off. But now they're on my hands. It's like, I can't. And they just follow you around. It's like that. Let me show you a close-up of that thorn, okay? It is called puncture vine. You can see it has dozens and dozens 
of tiny little spikes. They pierce your skin. They attach to your clothing. They will not let go. And puncture vine, particularly in the southwest, is so spiky, it can actually puncture a bicycle tire. So you get one of these little jobbers in your shoe, you got problems, okay? Paul was in pain. He had a thorn in his flesh that just dogged him. In other words, Paul had a chronic condition. If you're taking notes, this is the first thing we learn here. Something had pierced Paul's person and wouldn't let go. And scholars love to speculate what that chronic condition was. Most say it was probably a physical condition like epilepsy, that Paul had seizures. Or maybe Paul had a disease like malaria. A lot of scholars say it was glaucoma, that he had an eye condition that made it difficult for him to read and to write, because he says sometimes he has to write in big letters. Very similar to my sister's email. I have this problem with my eyes. Other scholars speculate, this is fascinating this week, some speculate migraines. Does anybody here have migraines? You know what this is like. It's like crippling, right? A friend of mine has chronic migraines, and she said, I'll be going, about once a month she has them. She'll be going along completely fine, feel it coming on, and then she has this blinding headache, and she's very sensitive to light. So for 24 hours, she has to just lay in a dark room for 24 hours before she can even just get back to normal. Painful. She takes medications for it. She kind of monitors her diet. But it's never really gone away. It's a chronic condition. We don't know precisely what Paul had here, but it doesn't actually matter. The point is, Paul was in pain. He's suffering. He had a thorn in his side, and three times he prayed that God would take it away, and he didn't. And that was very deeply discouraging to Paul. Some of you know exactly what this is like. This room today is full of people who are carrying thorns of your own. Maybe you have a thorn in the flesh like Paul that's physical. You know, maybe you have arthritis in your joints that makes it painful to bend, or you have a bad back that constantly goes out at the worst times. Personally, I have adult-onset asthma, fancy uh, term, but it's, it just means as I've gotten older, my allergies have gotten worse. Thanks, New Jersey, right? Thank God for Allegra. <laughs> but it makes it difficult for me to breathe. And like on Sunday mornings, I don't need that grief. God, would you just heal my lungs, but I have to take this stuff. Maybe a family member has ADD, it's difficult to concentrate. Or OCD, they have compulsions that, that slow them down. Or another disability or another disease. What is the thorn that you're carrying today or someone in your family? Maybe it's something obvious. Maybe it's something no one would notice. You may have lived with this a long time chronically or it just happened. I was talking with a young man in his 20s who just graduated from college and he was diagnosed three weeks later with MS, all right, multiple sclerosis. He said, Tim, I'm I'm thinking about my future. How am I going to deal with this chronic condition for the rest of my life? Do you notice that Paul calls this thorn, he says it's a messenger of who? A messenger of Satan. That's important to note. See, God is not the author of disease and disability. This is important for you to understand. Why, Why did God do this to me? The God of the Bible is the author of life, health, and healing, but we live in this broken world that still suffers the impact of suffering, sin, and death. I see this uh, this past week. I went to the hospital twice to visit people who were in there. One was planning for it. She's recovering from, from breast cancer. And I was in to visit her. And then the other, he wasn't planning to be in there, but he had to go in for emergency open heart surgery. He had to, he was, I was, spent time with him. And he said, I had my first heart attack in my 40s. I had my second heart attack in my 50s. And he just went in, and the guy said, you need a triple bypass today. And he said, Tim, it's so frustrating because I try to be good. I try to eat right, but it's a genetic condition. My mother had this. My, her father had it. This room is filled with physical thorns, painful conditions we wish God would remove. But let's be honest, we also have emotional thorns in a crowd this size. Some commentators say Paul probably struggled with chronic depression. 
Some of you have family members who struggle with depression, and you know exactly what that's like. Maybe Paul was bipolar. He had high highs and low lows. I received an email from a young mom who struggles with anxiety. Here's what she wrote. She said, Tim, the God Box Challenge has really helped my daily fears and anxiety, but I'm still having panic attacks. I wish I didn't have to take medicine, and God would just cure me. That's what Paul was hoping for. He said his affliction tormented him. In other words, it wasn't an isolated episode that happened once. He had daily episodes, frequent bouts. Some scholars say it wasn't physical. They say actually it was guilt, that Paul struggled with the guilt for killing all those Christians before he came to know Jesus Christ. Imagine you persecuted and murdered people, and then you now work with them. (laughs) Paul struggled potentially with a nagging sense of guilt and remorse. We have emotional thorns that we wish God would remove. And then there are relational ones. Some of you may say, you know what, my thorn is the constant conflict in my marriage. You've prayed that God would change your spouse, but to no avail. And there's this constant conflict underneath the surface in your home. It just pops right up. Or maybe you have a child who is struggling. I mean, let me tell you, parents, the thorn of a wayward child can deeply pierce a parent's soul. Maybe you have a child who's strayed away from the Lord. You've prayed and prayed that they'd come back, but they haven't yet. Or their anger or their acting out has gotten worse in recent days. And you don't know why God won't answer your prayer. Like Paul, we all have these painful problems that we desperately want God to change through prayer. And you know what? Paul tried persistent prayer. Observation number two. Look at verse eight. It says, three times I what? I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. In other words, Paul said, all right, Tim, I'm going to try your little God box here, okay? Three times I'm going to, one, two, three. In other words, he followed Jesus' advice. He's like, I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock. So this wasn't like a casual request. Like, oh, God didn't answer it. Paul, it says, pleaded. The word here, pleaded, means with tears, travail. He was fervent about this. He said, God, you've got to change this. I can't take this anymore. I remember being at a prayer meeting one time out of state, and I was sitting next to this woman. The entire time this prayer meeting was making these low, oh, oh, guttural sounds. And afterward, I learned she actually had a tumor in her abdomen that she was praying that God would heal or remove. And it was very primal because at one point in the prayer thing, she just goes, take it, God. And I was just like, whoa, this pain, this anguish. She was travailing. That's what the Bible says, wrestling with the Lord. God, take this away. That's what Paul was doing. He pleaded for its removal and God refused. Why does God sometimes say no? I mean, unanswered prayer is one of the most vexing challenges of the Christian faith. There are several possibilities. But today, I just want to briefly highlight three possibilities the Bible gives for when God says no. These are in your notes. And the first possibility for unanswered prayer is that you and I often ask with wrong requests. In other words, some requests, no matter how well-intentioned, are just plain inappropriate. Jesus' disciples did this all the time, okay? I think of James and John. These were part of the inner circle who came today with Jesus one time with a request. Look at this. It says, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, all right? We're doing the God box. We want to put it in there, knock three times in magic, right? And I love this. I imagine Jesus, it says, what do you want me to do for you, right? And they replied, hey, would you let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory? In other words, they said, hey, when you come to your kingdom, we want the best seats in the house, Jesus, you you said whatever we ask in your name. So we're asking in your name that we're your guests of honor, that we cut to the front of the line. Screw Mother Teresa. We get to sit on your right and your left. 
And Jesus is like, I love Jesus' response. You just imagine him shaking his head. He says, you, you don't know what you are asking. You got no clue what's ahead. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. There's a lot of pain and suffering before I reveal my glory. Do you want to drink from that cup of suffering I'm going to drink from? We can, they answered. I imagine he's going, oh, for heavens, you know. He said, you know what? To sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. In other words, James and John made a request of Jesus, but it was a wrong request. And Jesus says, I'm not going to answer it because it's self-seeking. It's short-sighted. They were looking for a shortcut so they could avoid the pain and sacrifice that comes with following Jesus Christ. And sometimes, let's just be honest about that. As disciples, we can pray very vainly, very fleshly. When our teams were praying for your prayers um, the other week, um, and we read through every single one of these, I'll, I'll just be, I'm going to read this to you. I pulled out a prayer. This is a true prayer. I won't name your name, but somebody, it's, it's anonymous. It just, it's, it's written. It says this, Lord, I pray that you will provide a good husband for me. My current husband isn't cutting it. And I need a little more security and affection. <laughs> Sincerely, Colleen Lucas, right? It's like, I, I know. Okay, this is a trick. If, if you were going to tweet this, it'd be hashtag prayer fail, right? It's a wrong request. It's not wrong to ask God to help your marriage, but God's not in the business of trading in your spouse, okay? In fact, that I find is a very good filter to kind of weigh your prayers. You know it's a wrong request when you beg God to change the other person. Wives pray this about husbands, husbands about wives, kids about their parents, parents about their kids, employees about bosses. Everybody prays this. And don't misunderstand. It's okay to pray that God will change someone's heart. We do that all the time. If you you want God to change, make their heart soft to you, God. Help them to have the strength to beat that addiction. That's fine. But sometimes we make these requests that really don't reflect any sort of authentic concern for the other person. And whether we admit it or not, a lot of our prayers sound like this. God, I don't want to face any of my own shortcomings. I don't feel like working on this relationship. In fact, I don't want to change at all. So God, if you could just wave your wand and change that person so he or she could accommodate all my needs, that'd be awesome. Deal? Amen. The truth is, God loves us too much to say yes to wrong requests. James 4.3 says, when you ask, you do not receive. Why? We read it together. Because you ask with Wrong motives. That's the second reason scripture gives for unanswered prayer. Mixed motives. Can we admit this? We make plenty of selfish, materialistic requests all the time that kind of masquerade as pious prayers. So if you're in business or you're an executive or something, you may, you know, you may pray, pray a prayer. You know, God, would you give me this new account? And you know what? That's great. There's nothing wrong with asking God to bless your business. But if your motivation is so that you can get rich and get a bigger house and bigger car and bigger pool and shove it in the face of all your co-work, God sees right through that stuff. James says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So watch this, that you may spend what you get on what? Your pleasures. There was another prayer that read, Lord, bless my new business. I am believing you to take it to the million dollar level promised in your word. Where is that promise? That's amazing. I, I would like to read from your Bible. That's incredible. What chapter is that in? <laughs> let's just be, let's be honest and admit this. As human beings, we're forgiven of our sin, but guess what? We're still very influenced by our flesh, and you and I are a mixed bag. 
you and I have never had 100% pure motive in our life. That is part of our flawed humanity. So typically, we default to the easiest, most convenient, comfortable way possible of resolving a problem in our life. Ego often influences our prayers as well. So it's not just secular. Church leaders are very capable of this. Pastors pray this all the time. Lord, would you, we want to reach people. Would you just grow our church and reach all these people? Surely God answers that prayer. It's about evangelism. But if a pastor means really in his heart, you know what? I want a big church with all sorts of fancy programs so people go, wow, you're a success. That's amazing. God's not going to answer that prayer. You know why? Because it's self-glorifying. God isn't going to fill that hole in your heart through the praise of people. Only God can fill that hole. So understand, motives matter. Motives matter in God's eyes, whether it's success in business, achievement in school with your kids or family. We can fool ourselves into thinking our motives are always pure. But if the disciples were capable of making immature requests, so are we. And oftentimes, God will say no to those kinds of prayers. You know why? Because he loves us too much and knows that a yes might spiritually destroy us. So you take James and John, for instance. These were part of Jesus' inner circle. One time, they're walking with Jesus through the Samaritan village, and the Samaritans hated Jews. And they're like, you can't go through here. You have to go the long way. Watch this. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Imagine them asking Jesus this, right? He's just given the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you, love your enemies. All right, bring out the big guns on the Samaritans. Jesus is probably like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's go nuclear, okay, on our... Have you heard nothing I've said? You know, you imagine Jesus is like, you got to be kidding. It says, but Jesus turned and he rebuked them. He said, no, because personal revenge is not part of God's character. It's a prayer fail. Selfishness is a prayer fail. It's out of line with who God is by nature. So here's a challenge for you this week. Go back and start looking at your prayers and look at them with an open heart and an honest eye. Can you be honest? Do you find that your prayers reflect a genuine desire to be conformed to Jesus Christ, to his character? Do they show genuine care and concern for other people? In his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, author Bill Hybels writes this. He says, when I began to study prayer, I was devastated over this point. I went over my usual prayers and had to face up to a lot of ugly covetousness. There was a great deal of confusion between wants and needs Rights and favors, convenience and conformity to Christ. I discovered, in effect, I'd been pleading with God, keep me from trial or tragedy or pain or anything that would make me really grow and become a man of God. Just give me a convenient, happy, problem-free life. That's, that's convicting. I started looking back over my prayers this week, and I was like, wow, a lot of these are just like, you know, solution, God, just fix this now so I can move on to the next thing. Remember, the Lord's Prayer begins by praying, may your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's just the polar opposite of our self-centered, short-sighted prayers that you and I typically make. Sometimes God says no to wrong requests, to prayers that are prayed with mixed motives. But there's a third reason that I think really touches the core for most of us, and that is the mystery of suffering. Sometimes things happen in this life that we simply don't understand from God's perspective. Several years ago, a a young couple in our congregation were pregnant with their first child. They were very excited. It was a boy. Um, They were praying for that. And doctors discovered that their son had a major heart malformation. His heart, his veins were being formed outside of his body, all right, in utero. Heart, literally heartbreaking um, 
situation, horrendous. And so for months, we just prayed. We prayed before our services on Sunday. We would actually gather around that young mother, and we were asking God for a miracle. I remember putting my hands on her belly. We prayed specifically that God would touch this tiny little boy in her belly and would perform a miracle of healing. Our pastors prayed. Our life groups prayed. We were very specific. We were utterly sincere as far as we knew. And we prayed for weeks, months, sometimes before, sometimes after services, sometimes both. And I truly believe the miracle was going to happen. If I can just tell you right now, I, I, I really did. I just felt it. And I will never forget praying all those hours. The day that that child was, was born, was, was stillborn. And the doctors handed the dead child to his mother so she could kiss him and say goodbye. That, was, that, was probably, that is the single biggest disappointment of my entire ministry. As a father, as a pastor, it was crushing. The parents were heartbroken. Everybody praying was devastated. And we learned the hard way that sometimes for reasons we don't understand this side of heaven, God and his sovereignty may choose to deny a healing. And guys, this happens every day all across the globe. Godly people are stricken with dread diseases. Praying parents die without ever seeing their wayward kid return to the fold. Unspeakable tragedies afflict Christ followers and unbelievers alike. There is a divine mystery behind suffering that none of us fully understand. Why do the righteous suffer and the innocent perish? In Matthew 5, Jesus said, The Lord causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus is basically like, I know, sometimes you're going to see wicked people prosper and innocent people suffer. And this is a very hard truth to swallow because the natural question is, well, then why? Why would a caring, compassionate God deny the requests of his faithful children? Lean in. Guys, this is where good theology counts. It is critical you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, when we say he's a Lord and Savior. You know what that means? It means we believe that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God achieved total victory over Satan, sin, and death. Final victory is certain. Your eternal life in heaven is secure. All you have to do is call on the name of Jesus, believe in your heart, you will be saved. But understand right now, on this earth, we live between D-Day and V-Day. You know what D-Day is in World War II? D-Day was the great invasion when the Allied troops invaded Normandy, and here's what's interesting, military buffs, within a week of their invasion, Hitler knew he was defeated because it was so overwhelming. It was just a matter of time before the Third Reich fell. But the World War II went on another 11 months before V-Day. V stands for victory. When the Allied forces claimed final victory, Hitler surrendered and the war was over. During that time, between D-Day and V-Day, The Allied forces lost more men, more casualties in that 11 months of fighting than all of World War II combined. That's where you and I live right now as the Church of Jesus Christ. We live between D-Day and V-Day, in the in-between when the fighting is the fiercest and there are the most casualties. See, when Jesus first came to this world, it was God's D-Day. It was the great invasion of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to battle the devil, mano a mano. And when he died on the cross, he broke the power of sin. When he was raised from the dead, he broke the power of death. But is our enemy still active? Yes. 
When Christ ascended into heaven, he says, you know what? I'm going to come back a second time, and it's going to be V-Day. I'm going to establish my kingdom once and for all on this earth. Has that happened yet? Not yet. You and I live between the already and the not yet of God's kingdom right now. And what that means is you are assured of ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. But right now, Satan is still very active in this world. His days are numbered. His end is sure. But in the meantime, the Bible calls him the prince of this present darkness, and he opposes God's ways at every turn. And a lot of days, it seems like the enemy has the upper hand. Innocent children suffer. The poor lack food and clean water. They die of malnutrition. Our world is racked by genocide and sex trafficking. Dictators gas their own people. Those are the times that we live in on this earth. But understand something, Christian, Christ follower, your God will have the final say. Amen? He will assert his sovereignty and his judgment on V-Day, Christ's second coming. And because of that ultimate victory, what that means is, you have the assurance that the prayers that went unanswered in this life will receive spectacular vindication in eternity. Then Revelation 21 says, here's the reality of where it's all going. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And let's read this together. Powerful promise. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has what? passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything what? Everything new. That's what we long for. New life, new bodies, God's healing, everything whole and put back together in Jesus Christ. That's what our hearts cry out for when we are wrestle with a thorn that won't go away. We say, how long, oh Lord, how long will I struggle with my eyes until my limbs are healed? My cancer is crushed. How long must I wait? And today there are two lies alive in the church. The first lie is that no one gets healed. The second lie is that everybody gets healed. See, we pray for miracles, guys, because a miracle is by definition, it's when God's power supernaturally breaks into the natural course of events. It's supernatural on earth. And by definition, it's a a miracle. It is an interruption of the natural broken order of things. And we say, that's what it's going to be like. We rejoice. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, we pray that God Almighty would pour out his power and his love and receive glory because it's a foreshadowing of the final victory, the V-Day to come. And when it does, God says, that day, I'm going to pull every one of your thorns because the war is over and your Christ has come. And he's going to ent- you're going to enter his rest and you're going to receive his healing. I'm going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know what hope that is? What hope that is for the couple who lost their child? to parents agonizing over infertility, whatever grief, whatever heartache right now that you experience on earth, God says, I am going to redeem that in heaven. If you are struggling with depression, you are going to shout for joy. You're no more meds. Your struggles with anxiety, you're going to have perfect peace. Those with disabilities, you're going to dance down the streets. Cancer will be crushed. This is where your Lord and Savior, your King, is taking your story. And you are going to be embraced by the one who wore a crown of thorns to do this for you. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, So our light and momentary troubles right now are achieving for us a what? An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Why don't you imagine Paul writing these words? (laughs) 
If you look in chapter 11, he goes through his resume of suffering. He's like, um, let's see, I was uh, beaten three times, lashed within an inch of my life five times. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. I've been left for dead. And yet somehow he manages to write, these are light and momentary troubles. And he writes, therefore, I don't lose heart. Though outwardly, you're wasting away. Read this together. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Powerful. Even when things are crumbling in the outside of your life, on the inside, Paul's like, you can have something deeper in here. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the power of Jesus Christ. And that is the secret with thorns. Your pain invites God's power. That's the secret, guys. Whenever God says no, or you have a thorn in the flesh that makes you weak and it won't be removed, know that your pain invites Christ's power in a new way. Paul prayed three times for God to give him an answer. And God said, I'm going to give you an answer, but it's not the one you think. Let's read God's answer to Paul. He says, my grace is, what's the word? Sufficient for you. I'm going to give you my grace. And my power is made perfect in what? Your weakness. This is the secret of the kingdom. When you have a thorn that won't let go, it's an opportunity for you to say, God, in my weakness, I need Christ's power to make me strong. When we begin owning our weaknesses, God says, now I can do something. I'm going to turn their weakness into strength through Jesus Christ. See, that's the hidden benefit of thorns. It keeps us dependent on Jesus. Paul says, I couldn't get proud about anything. This thing knocked me to my knees. But guess what? God's light is going to shine through me in ways that he couldn't if you and I were bulletproof. See, according to Paul, disabilities don't disqualify us. It's just the opposite. Our weaknesses are a chance for God to show his strength in a way you can't even believe. I mean, it's natural to praise God when you see someone miraculously healed. We praise God for that. But have you ever seen someone praise God or give him glory in the middle of their disease or disability? That's a whole other class of miracle. Just ask Nick Wojcik. You guys know Nick? He's a follower of Jesus Christ who was born in Australia. Good-looking guy in his 30s. He'd fit right in here at Liquid. The only thing is that Nick was born with no arms and no legs. He was born with Tetra Amelia syndrome. It's a rare genetic disorder. He has no limbs. He's just got a little flipper attached to his torso. And growing up, Nick struggled so much emotionally with his physical condition, he would beg, he prayed, he pleaded with gods to let him grow arms and legs. And when that didn't happen, he was so distraught, he contemplated suicide at the age of eight years old. But when he would turn 15, one thing that Jesus said in the Gospels gave him a whole new perspective on unanswered prayer, and it changed everything. You know, when people see me for the first time, they don't know exactly what to do. And then they see my smile, and I open my mouth and say, hey, give me a hug. And they're thinking, oh, this guy's cool, you know? But it's all about them understanding. When they look me in the eyes and they hear me speak for just a little bit, you start to forget that you're talking to a limbless man. Because a man who looks broken on the outside is more than complete on the inside. I'd hear my dad talking about the Bible and and seeing him preach uh, from the pulpit. But man, I just couldn't understand why would God let this happen to me. And at age 8 to age 12, I went through a a deep depression. People ask me, well, Nick, how, how did you come out of that? Because I read at 15 years old, John chapter 9, where a man was born blind. Jesus said he was born that way so that the works of God may be revealed through him. And man, a wave of faith came over me. 
and I realized, wow, you know, I've been waiting for God to do a miracle. He's already given me the greatest miracle of all. You know what I realized in my life of meeting so many people? That a broken heart is a broken heart. But there is hope. I couldn't change the fact that I had no arms and no legs and I was so afraid that I was going to be alone for the rest of my life. There are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. And God says to you, hold on. I'm with you and I'm going to give you the strength to get back up. It's not the end. I know that it's not how you look, it's who you we are. honestly save a life and that's why we have been put here by It God. should have been impossible for me without arms and legs to get back up when I was falling down. But with God, all things are possible. of Jesus Christ, Nick Wojcik has become really an inspiration to millions of people. He has spoken now on every continent, over 10 million people, half a million people have given their lives to Jesus Christ through his testimony. I'd love to have my liquid someday and share with you. Through Christ's supernatural strength, he has done things that no one can believe, like surfing in Hawaii. That's him and Bethany Hamilton, the soul surfer who lost her arm to a shark. Another example of God's power resting on your weakness. And last February, he was married to a beautiful Christian woman named Kane. And this spring, Nick became a proud father to a beautiful baby boy born with 10 toes and 10 fingers. Is that incredible? I'm reading his book, Unstoppable, and it has given me an entirely new perspective on thorns, on, on disabilities, on chronic conditions that won't go away. Whether it's a broken body or a debilitating disease, and how God's glory sometimes shines the brightest through broken things. Amen? Nick's thorn was an invitation for Christ's power to rest on him. Paul said, my thorn is an invitation for Christ's power to rest on me. Today, your thorn is an invitation for Christ's power to rest on you. Christ said, my power can be made perfect in your weakness. It will redeem your pain and give it a purpose. What weaknesses do you have that need God's strength today? Instead of removing the thorn, God said, my, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is all of God's resources, all of God's strength, all of God's joy, all of God's peace. And sometimes God says, you know what? I've heard your prayers, and instead of removing the thorn, I'm going to give you a strength to endure. I'm going to give you a power to persevere. I'm going to give your pain a new purpose. Because when people look at your imperfect life and they see you limping along, they're going to say, that's the Holy Spirit flowing through him or her. Amen? Paul says, that's why for Christ's sake, it's not about me, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties, because when I'm weak, what? Then I'm strong. When you embrace your weakness, not just accept it, we can pray for its removal, but when we say, God, if you don't remove it, you redeem it then. His power will flow through you. Right now, in this room, all our campuses, quick show of hands. How many of you are here today and you would say, Tim, I am carrying a thorn right now? There is something in my life. Raise your hand. Just go ahead. Raise it up. Yeah, more than half the people. The rest of you are lying. That's all right. That's your thorn. <laughs> I'm going to pray specifically for you in just a moment. 
And I want to believe this morning that God will make good on his word and that if you actually open up your hands and say, you know what, God, your will be done, his power will rest on you. His Holy Spirit will flow through you. You ever notice that, um, that Paul actually, uh, it never says what his thorn was. Do you know why? <laughs> it's so that you wouldn't nickel it in and say, well, that's what God did in Paul's case. Paul said, God, I want you to use this to glorify your church. And 2,000 years later, here we are taking encouragement from Paul's disability. He prayed three times. And God didn't answer. Do you know why Paul paid three times? Because he was following the model of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Scripture says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he actually went to the Garden of Gethsemane with James and John, his disciples, and he knew there was a world of hurt waiting for him. He knew he was going to be stripped. He knew he was going to be beaten and have a crown of what? A crown of thorns put on his head. And he would be nailed to a wooden cross. And you know what Matthew 26 says? Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Let's say it together. Yet, not as I will, but as what? You will. Jesus prayed, Take away the thorn. God said, No, the first time. Matthew says, He went away a what? A second time and prayed, My Father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your what? May your will be done. Prayer number two, and God said, No. And Matthew says, Jesus prayed a what? Jesus prayed a third time. He said the same thing, and God said, no, no, son. This is not my plan. My plan is not to spare you suffering, but it's to redeem your pain and bring salvation to the world. And so I'm going to ask you to bear it. And Jesus said, not my will be done, but yours be done, Father, because I trust you. And because Christ accepted his thorns, you and I have eternal life. We have the promise of salvation and healing in eternity. So if you're struggling with a thorn this morning, I want you to take heart. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer, to have an unanswered prayer. He was familiar with pain and he prayed the only prayer that God guarantees to answer. Let's say this prayer together. Powerful words. May your will be what? Done. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of acknowledging that sometimes our Father has plans we can't comprehend for our lives, but it's for our good and His glory. And sometimes we say, "Would you? I don't want to drink that cup. And he, sometimes He says, no, or not yet. But at some point, Paul said, you're not giving me the answer I'm looking for. But Lord, your will be done. You give me Christ's power in this thing. You're going to give me supernatural resources to endure this. And I believe my life's going to be a blessing. May your will be done. You say those words, say them together, all our campuses. May your will be done. Would you bow your heads right now? Bow your heads right now. You're struggling with a thorn this morning, and you want to pray a powerful prayer? I want to pray this with you. I want to pray that God's will would be done in your life. If that's you, would you just, would you just stand up where you are, just to be present to God? Stand up where you are, and you're like, this is my thorn, but God, I'm trusting your strength to carry it with me. All our campuses, stand on up. Stand on up. Powerful moment. This is God's moment for you. Powerful moment. All people standing all over New Jersey. If you're sitting next to somebody who's standing up, just put your hand on them, or just reach out your hand. Not weird, just, we're going to ask God's power. Would you pray with me right now? We pray. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God. We have a God who knows pain, who knows suffering, who bled and died for us. And so you can identify, God, in our heartache. We can trust you 
because we know, Father, you hear our prayers and we're close to your heart and you have the power to redeem everything we go through. So right right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father God, we pray for healing. We know you're a healer. We ask it to be released in your people. We pray for those with physical thorns, God. And I pray right now for men and women who it's not your will to remove. We pray together. Are you ready? Let's say it. May your will be done. Use our lives, God, broken and crushed, but not defeated and destroyed. Victorious in Christ. May your Christ reign in our brokenness. When we go through hardship, we say, bless his name. Thank you for being a crushed God who's close to the brokenhearted. Lift their spirit now. Pour out your Holy Spirit, your grace, in a supernatural way. Pray that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.